Welcome to the Wano Ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. And we're back this week with Mayor Rick Blangiardi. So, Mayor, first off, welfare check, mental health check. How are you doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> when you say welfare, you know, I start thinking about what demo I'm in. Uh, look, everything is good. I feel really good. I'm energized. You know, this is, we just last weekend were celebrating, you know, the year of the dragon. Happy New Year. It seems like it's a perpetual holiday season. Once we once we get past Labor Day almost, you know, it's mm-hmm. like Halloween and the Thanksgiving and so on. But uh, look, we're really excited. we got a big year coming up and that's just, that's just not talk. We're making some real nice inroads. We'll talk about that today. Um, it's very gratifying. I'm confident in our team. Uh, I'm just excited about the road ahead and making good things happen. Tailing on that, because you mentioned Chinatown, uh, yeah. the night in Chinatown celebration, you were there for the parade, the festivities. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? It was joyous. I mean, it's, um, you know, first of all, it's about cultural pride. You know, I mean, every small little organization, many of whom I didn't even know existed, were out there with their banners and their, t- and their T-shirts and whatever. But it was just all about uh, a community coming together. I was told, and I don't know, I last year was the first year we had done it since we were in office mm-hmm. because, because of COVID. Uh, and they said it was a big crowd then. They told me this was by far the biggest crowd they ever had. I know after the festivities, I walked down to all the food court down the street. It was packed. I mean, people, we had a good crowd in Alla Park, but afterwards it was just all the way down and everybody seemed to be uh, just having a great time. It was, like I said, it's joyous. So we, we look to create these moments and when you have organizations like the entire Chinatown community who got behind this, as I said, their own identity and their pride and the celebration of Chinatown being a good place for people to come and visit and work and, and just play. It's it's joyous. I mean, that's what cities are about in, inside the urban core. You know, it was a really nice Saturday night. And when <clears throat> party mode is turned off, right, and there's no event there, what is going on in that district? Because it's kind of been a balance. People have praised you for certain things, and people yeah. have kind of been upset. So from your side, what's well, from my there? side, you know, uh, look, I understand people being upset, and anybody can take a picture of some homeless guy who decides to plop down there and 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 make a deal out of it. Um, We've cleaned up a lot of not only the homeless population, but the criminal population down there. Much more work still to be done, but it's cleaned up. We have ongoing restoration. Kekaliki Mall should be finished by April. That's an $8 million capital investment. We've put in new trees. We've changed lighting. You know, we double up on the power washing. We had special security down there. We increased the police force by almost three quarters of a million dollars. A great extra help down there. We still had that ongoing. We're installing security cameras. The rest of them will be in within the next couple of months. We have seven up right now. Um, you know, I go on and on with all the things we've done consciously to improve it. Is it perfect? No. If somebody want to complain, I tell them too bad on you. You know, if you're going to be that negative, then that's the way it is. I walked in last week through a lot of those shops talking to the merchants. They're very, very happy. Their business is robust. They're feeling good. People feel safe. We talk to people on the streets. Look, nothing's perfect. That place had a long history of not being easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've come a long way in a relatively short period of time. And I'm not stuck in today. I'm always looking ahead. So my expectations and what I think we can create, what we will create, what that means for this city, are most positive. So anybody choosing to be negative, then they remain among that group. And that's the hard part in this leadership job is overcoming the naysayers. They just seem to be out there. And I don't know what breeds that. I don't know why people choose to be that way. But I can tell you from a leadership standpoint in this city and our administration, we are not that way. And we will, in the end of the day, 
we will deliver on what we say we're going to do. And I can promise you, the word revitalization of Chinatown is an understatement. One of the issues kind of on that tree, right, one of the branches is homelessness. And I know that this is not something that's going to be fixed overnight, but it's been about a month now since your homeless coordinator and Sam Moku has stepped into that position. Right. What has he been able to do in, in that amount of time? Has he briefed you? Well, to be candid, really it's been less on Sam. He's been going through an orientation. But mm -hmm. We've had a really good meeting in here. We've identified the places. You know, the governor talks a lot. We've had now uh, three big meetings with the state. You know, I said earlier... Uh, that we were all set early summer, mid to mid-summer. Governor Green had been in office for five or six months. He had to get through his orientation. You know, he issued some housing proclamations, got backlash. He had some issues also with some key people in his administration. All of that was sort of like his orientation, and we were meeting at the same time talking about stuff we had talked about basically when I was still campaigning, and he was DLG, and what we would get done provided both of us prevailed. So. We've had these long-standing discussions about our ability to attack the homeless situation. We were all set to make those announcements six months ago when Maui happened, and it's not an excuse, but it completely derailed the governor. You can understand that. It also created a lot of, a lot of uncertainty with respect to financial resources and other things that maybe we were counting on, or where would the ledge go, which just opened up a couple of weeks ago in this session. How would it impact us financially? then not the least of which was trying to house those people on Maui, and all, just a, a myriad of things. So we got off of our plans. We are now back on those plans, and Sam's been a part of that. He's going to be a point guy. Anton, actually, Anton Krucky, who's the director of Compartment mm -hmm. Refugee Services, I asked him to be the senior champion. And just as John is to the governor, I want Sam to me in a way, but actually what Anton, because they're really, I want them to be really hands-on uh, in making things happen. But, you know, for all the governor talks about with respect to the building of Kalahari, last week we took him and showed him what we already have ready, which I can say, honestly, I think he was genuinely in a positive way surprised. I know I spoke to him last Saturday as well, because um, we did that last Friday. I spoke to him Saturday night, and he admitted that to me, and, and we've had very productive meetings since that time. So the fact is, we have places to put people now. Not talking about building stuff 12 to 18 months from now. And Evil A Center is going to be a big part of it. Waikiki Vista, we got a wing up at Lehigh Clinic. We got Pawi uh, uh, Hale uh, down in uh, Chinatown as well that we're occupying. There's a few other things that we're, we're into. Uh, and we have CORE, which is now relocated to the Evil A Firehouse. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've got six ambulances and four SUVs or maybe five SUVs, a crew, a crew of 35 people on core, uh, soon to be 50. So we've asked, I went to the ledge asking for more money so we could expand to Leeward and Windward and out of the North Shore um, to make ourselves accessible because we know homelessness is pervasive and it exists there. But here in the urban core, we, you know, it's, we see seemingly camps almost set up, right, at different places. And certainly in the Evil A area, if you drive around those streets, a couple of those places get on for almost a whole city block, and they've made it its own little city. We're gonna we're gonna be able to take all those people and get them off the streets, provide shelter. So Evil A Center, for example, is 100,000 square feet. We have about 30,000 square feet, not counting outside, which we have available that we could put the Kalhali, not unlike what the governor did across the street from Queens, and get those built. But we we're ready to go now. We've got clearance from the State Department of Health, which was a big thing to be able to do. So Core can pick them up. 
We have places to put them where the governor and the state comes in as the Department of Health. The monies he has available to him from federal appropriations, not the least of which is what we do with Medicaid and Medicare as well, and helping these people because the healthcare workers can help apply for that. Once we have that in place, which we, which we are doing, and some really creative things, having the ability to help help them. You have to have people on site. You know, a lot of our aging Kapuna suffer from dementia. There was an article earlier this week right. uh, in the paper talking about that. You know, so these are people that may not be necessarily drug addicted or, or have mental illness, but dementia is starting to set in, and I, I don't know what the delineation is between mental illness and dementia, but I'm not talking about schizophrenia and paranoia. I'm talking more about somehow, unfortunately, what happens to some people in the aging process right. who really makes, you know, orienting themselves to their environment very difficult. And some of these people have worked hard their whole lives, you know, they and they earn money, and then suddenly because of in cost of living, they've been on fixed wages, had very little in their retirement kind of plans, you know, got shut into homeless, and that's where we want to target that. A lot of aging women especially, but it's across the board um, uh, with respect to, uh, to to the Kapuna population. Things like that, if we can help make a difference there and provide you know, the kind of care that they need, that they could never afford through government subsidy, state subsidy, are providing a facility and the workers to help them, I mean, that's that's what this is about. You recently put pen to paper on an amended full funding agreement last week. How much is coming our way, and what does that mean? What does that agreement mean? The full funding agreement, well, it means a lot, first of all. It means that the FTA has come back into the dance, if you will, into the construction of rail. I shouldn't say it that way because this is a really serious matter. But, you know, they hadn't given the money, any, the city any money since 2017, and it was acrimonious, to say the least. I, I spoke to the outgoing FTA administrator and certainly have gotten to know well the incoming one. Now it's been a couple of years, Nuria Fernandez, and, you know, they were really upset about this project. And, and even the new one was saying that, you know, this project is at risk. It's been in, uh, it's been really a breach of contract from the standpoint of fulfillment uh, with uh, the delays and budget overruns. And they lost confidence. And we were pretty much told, get your act together, get this going. Uh, otherwise, not only is the money that's been allocated for this going to go somewhere else, but you guys are going to have a serious problem on your hands. For the last several years, even despite COVID, uh, we've worked really hard on that. So now the FTA is back. They approved our recovery plan last year. Mm -hmm. We opened up in June, as everybody knows. The full funding grant agreement is something that everybody told me you couldn't get, which was an amended version of the one signed in 2012 by, I think, then Mayor Carlisle, uh, that allow us to shorten the track and at the same time uh, to you know to short, shorten the route. Mm -hmm. Uh, and at the same time, do a few other things with respect to uh, environmental impact studies, et cetera. So we're going to get $744 million. That's the, the long answer to the short question. Mm -hmm. First $125 million tranche is going to be soon delivered. So, so that's, knew, a, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. And we knew that you were working on this to get this amended and to get the money yep. um, coming back to the city and county of Honolulu. Why was this signed now? Was there any kind of meeting that happened? What was the process? Well, I was surprised. Um, well, you know, we part of the situation was we wanted to get it done and get it done now. The FTA had some requirements of us um, that we were working on, oh, okay. uh, and um, still just about completed. But to our surprise, and I guess it, it comes as a result of the kind of transparency we've had with them, we've kept them apprised of mm -hmm. everything we're doing. I've had conversations even recently with. Uh, 
Administrator Fernandez, um, and she, she signed it. <laughs> I thought maybe it would be the other way around. We'd sign it and send it, but they did, and so, um, you know, you folks came in last week, and so to my surprise that we were signing it. We'll probably do something public, mm -hmm. more visible, but it was important that we have it signed here right. and get it back to them. So, look, I think it just comes from the fact that we've had unprecedented conversations with them and unprecedented demonstration of competence from the standpoint of, you know, their, not only their analysis of our recovery plan, but work in progress. You know, they send teams out here, they see what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we are now in the midst of the toughest part of construction as we begin to swing around Middle Street and come down the Dillingham Corridor uh, and all that's gonna go on with that. Uh, but right now, so far, all lights are green. It's not gonna be easy. I know it's creating a little inconvenience, both for people trust, you know, tra you know, traveling down the street, but the businesses, we're looking to get them recovery monies. We're, I'm feeling confident that um, we're gonna get that figured out. I've gone publicly and said that. Uh, they weren't able to do that before in Hart and other businesses in Waipahu, et cetera. Um, but we don't want to lose businesses. We don't want to be indifferent. This is a transformative project for the future of this city and really, quite honestly, for the entire line of housing that will be built all the way out, out into Kapolei. Um, that, you know, those businesses that are in the urban core, we'd like to say when this is all said and done, everybody survived. That's, that's our intent. We're going to do whatever we can to make that a reality. I want to shift gears now. We had a pretty terrifying incident here in Honolulu recently. Um, a woman, a Chinese teacher, was a victim of an acid attack. Um, what have you learned about this so far? And what are the ways we can prevent something like this from happening again and making sure that people here on Oahu feel yeah. safe? You know, this is really tragic. I've, I've talked to um, the people who came over from China to visit her, um, the consul, consulate people. And obviously, very everybody was most somber and, and and serious about it. We try to extend everything we possibly could from the standpoint of apologizing and at the same time trying to provide this young woman with a kind of medical care. Unfortunately, she was hurt very badly, and her road to recovery will be a long and difficult one. It's absolutely tragic, you know. And um, this was somebody who had been incarcerated, got out on bail, and the next day, I think I'm not exactly sure of the timing of it, but no sooner out there and, and did something just, you know, unanticipated. You know, one in the right in the very beginning, one of the things that we were told before the police were able to apprehend is that sometimes acts like this are targeted acts. They're done out of mal malice and hate and of somebody they know. This was random and uh, in a very highly populated area, you know, right outside Alamona Shopping mm -hmm. Center. Uh, you know, I don't know what we can do to prevent these unforeseen crazy acts. Just, um, we just try to be as more diligent and vigilant as possible. And as I asked everybody, for all of us out there these days, walking around, keep your eyes open. Because you, you know, we're trying to do the best we can with criminals and whatever else. Um, but clearly, you know, mental illness is a big deal. And we have a lot of people out there who are, you know, not emotionally balanced. And you know it's hard to say. I mean, look, this was a terrible, terrible act on this individual, and I don't want to compare it to any other. But I sit there, and I watch in disbelief when I get a chance to watch evening newscasts on YouTube or wherever I watch it, whenever I have the time, at, at these shootings that go on, and these school shootings, and the innocent people that are just being sacrificed. I mean, and you sit there and you go, this is beyond belief, right? So, 
these random acts of violence towards other people. It's bad enough that the world is at war in Ukraine, and, and you know, and it's certainly what's happened in Israel now, in, in the Middle East as well, and some of the expanded bombings that are taking place. Uh, it's bad enough to see man's inhumanity to man on full display, not to mention the genocide in Africa, things of that nature. But you come back here, you watch in our own country, the amount of mass shootings that we've had, and 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 the victimization of innocent people. It's you know so. This is a really difficult and challenging time. All I can only tell you is we're going to try to increase police presence, but everybody knows you can't have a police officer there at every corner next to everybody. People have to be more aware uh, and just pray to God you're not in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sticking with our police for a second, previously when we had you on, we talked about communication between the Honolulu Police Department, the media, the public, um, and, the, and yourself. Yep. Uh, you said you might be able to have an update for us the next time we met on that situation sure what, what is the latest well thing? i don't want to be light of this because communication is very <laughs> but just say uh, i would tell you that we've agreed to communicate about communications we've we've you know knocked down the barriers and our communications team as you know which you're a vital part of was over earlier in the week uh doing a full-on presentation to all the senior ranking officers i've had some very interesting and private conversations in person with chief logan as well as a number of different text messages and apprising each other we're doing some media training um you know in the spirit of what we were just talking about people have a right to know uh and we're not asking to compromise the police work of anybody in the department and realize there are sensitivities sometimes. There's certainly information that's on a need-to-know basis, but I think we do a much better job at some of the general things and alerting the public and making them aware uh, without compromising any of that. And so it's just really, it's a cultural thing. Uh, I've made it very clear that uh, in this modern day, in this world we live in, uh, that our police have an accountability to the public from the standpoint of at least reassuring them uh, and so that's what we're asking for. That's what we're working on. And uh, hopefully we're going to be much better at it. I want to move now across the street. There are a handful of bills introduced this session at the state legislature focused on short-term rentals. Uh, one being a Senate bill that seeks to give the counties more power to control uh, short-term rentals, possibly even phase them out. Would you support something like that? Well, we already have a good piece of legislation, mm -hmm. which you know we've been working at. Um, and I'm actually pretty excited about um, this next this next wave, uh, we we are just going through procurement on a new software program that will help us identify. You know, the governor of the state of the state talked about the fact that 52 percent of all the short-term vacation rentals in the state are owned by people offshore, mm -hmm. and 27 percent of that owns 20 or more units each. These are not individual homeowners. There are there are those too. These are companies that consortiums, if you will, that literally bought slot machines over here. So in the condo hotel part, the resort areas, we've made exceptions because we understand that as if it's in Waikiki in a building, we, we didn't go after that. What we've gone after is the residential neighborhoods. And especially on the Wynwood and going out towards the North Shore, the population of number of houses there, but we also had them in every neighborhood. Um, so uh, that's what we're after. Uh, and I think we're gonna do a better job. I would definitely try to find out what it is they're talking about. I think some of that was generated as a result of the fact that they asked the people in Maui where they had so many vacation homes mm -hmm. over there to help 
housed the displaced residents, and they got really a, an anemic response, even though they were offering big money. And I think that, quite honestly, upset a lot of people. Right. It's like, how dare you? You own this over here, you're making money off it. In a lot of these cases, where they're not even paying taxes, so they were you know, under the radar. So uh, I think managing short-term vacation rentals, all that we've talked about coming out of COVID, in the future of tourism in Hawaii is a vital part of that. And so we're trying to do it here to regain housing, hopefully take some of the short-term housing and turn it back onto the, for our local people because we can't build fast enough, but also restore the integrity of the neighborhoods. And, it, you know, quite honestly, it, had, it has something to do with driving up prices too because they were able to get bigger prices. People showing what they were getting in their rental incomes for these. It was, like I said, a slot machine. It's not like the family that's living there and they're trying to educate their kids and, you know, and do all those other family kinds of things. These guys were just, you know, saying, look at the multiple, look at the return, and jacking right. up prices. Not good. So um, we're attacking that. And I, I feel actually, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, the responsibility for short-term vacation rentals comes under the Department of Planning and Permitting which we've had so much work to do and still do, but we're making progress there on just the issues of permits. But the manpower and, and what it would take to really monitor that just wasn't in place. We've Now we have the legislation. I think I feel really good about um, the software. We've now hired investigators who could do some of the follow-up. I mean, we're gonna get there. And so I, I'll look at what they're doing, um, but we already came to a conclusion that I don't think in Waikiki, for example, in some of these buildings, you would say carte blanche, no, yeah, no short-term yeah. vacation rentals. We get that business model. Uh, it's the other stuff. We want our neighborhoods back. We got some good news recently. USA Today thinks that we have one of the best zoos in the nation. Yes. What does that news mean to you? What does that space mean to you? Yeah. I'm sure you have memories there. Well, it does. It means a lot to me. I mean, for one thing, uh, we were no sooner in office, and uh, we took a, a meeting with the AZA, AZA, the American Zoological Association, because they were reminding me as an incoming mayor that Honolulu just got back its accreditation, that we had not had an accreditation for a number of years, that this was something they took most seriously, and they were pretty much putting me on notice, like, don't mess this up. The zoo's important, which they didn't have to say to me, kind of going back to part of your question. You know, my kids are now almost 47, 43, 38. Uh, I spent countless hours in that zoo. I mean, countless hours <laughs> there and across the street at the Waikiki <laughs> the aquarium. aquarium. Yeah. Uh, I mean, between ball fields and that, that was my life for so many years. And um, not like other parents, but I can remember the zoo was always wonderful to go to, but it was never, never, never as nice as it is now. Right. And so over the years, with a lot of dedication and hard work and passion and knowledge, uh, not only taking care of the animals, but the diversity of the animals, the grounds themselves, and so on and so forth. It is nice, just like I said, just a couple of years ago, being advised not to blow the accreditation. <laughs> and knowing for well, quite honestly, if I could just dip back into my former life at Hawaii News Now as a general manager, I can remember us doing news stories on, on uh, you know, the directors turning out. There was a big churn. They couldn't seem mm -hmm. to keep anybody in there. We lost the accreditation. It was such an asset. I remember there was some serious talk about, well, who needs a zoo? Let's just develop it. Look at the incredible, I mean, it was like, you know, and that shouldn't be. You know, the fact that we have a zoo that's adjacent to Waikiki, one of the all-time world-class tourist destinations. Um, and it's being highly respected to be not only in the top 20, but based on where the balloting goes, 
We might even have a chance to be in the top 10. Who knows if I can dream a little bit, maybe even number one. What a great thing for our city. And what a great thing for our people locally who visit, but also when people come to visit. I know, I've look, I've gone to zoos all around the country. It's always a great attraction. And not yeah. just with my kids. I've gone as an <laughs> adult. You know, I remember I was, I, 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 I was like really curious to see the Bronx Zoo. And I finally got to a place in life where I could go do that. Took a subway out there and spent about eight hours and then almost hated to leave. You know, that kind of stuff. And I've seen them in Washington and San Diego and uh, St. Louis. I mean, just, you know, the, it's, just, it's, um, it's just a really great experience. So for us to be up there, knowing full well that the road to get there wasn't easy, uh, and have something we can really celebrate is a joyous thing. I'm very, very proud. I want to thank Linda Santos. I certainly want to thank our new Enterprise Services Director, Dita Holyfield, Tracy Kubota, our deputy, who has a real passion for the zoo, and all the uh, other men and women, as well as the board members, who have really put a lot of themselves into resurrecting, if you will, revitalizing, uh, even recreating, if I might add. I mean, some of the stuff we have in there now is was never there before. And some of the animal attractions and the way that they have them and the way they've built them, it's real state-of-the-art. It's great stuff. Another exciting event. This week, you get to strap on your dancing shoes, the Senior <laughs> Valentine <laughs> Dance, an event that seemingly gets bigger and bigger every year. Yeah, I, well, you know, this is... I gotta tell you, there's some really cool parts about being mayor. <laughs> yeah, this is going to a zoo presser and talking about being in the top 20, and now we shift to Valentine's Day dance. You know, I went there last year. I'd always seen it, you know, in the past news series, but I'd never been there before. Last year was your first time? Yeah, yeah first time. Wow. Yeah, first time on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it's, a great, it's a great experience. Uh, I forget what day of the week we're doing. Last, I think it was like on a Tuesday or something. Yeah, usually. But suddenly, you know, you walk in there at uh, 10 a.m. or whatever on a Tuesday. It's just not the time you normally would think about dancing. But the ladies that show up for that, they're up for dancing. So <laughs> you got to bring your dancing shoes. You're absolutely right. It's fun. It's joyous. It's Valentine's Day. You know, again, it's a chance to um, remember those people we love and, um, and to make it fun. Uh, Mayor, you recently capped off National Blood Donor Month by donating blood. I know you're a normal blood donor, um, but it's sad to see the state that our need of blood is here in Hawaii. Yeah, you know, and they were, uh, were reminded of the urgency of that and the critical nature of it with respect to the Maui wildfires. There were a lot of burn victims that really needed uh, blood right in our own backyard. Um, but, you know, I have done it uh, off and on for a lot of years some some periods had long stretches so I, I felt good to be able to do it again we just can encourage people to do it you know it's um, it's relatively painless it's one of those things uh, you know for all that we talk about giving it's a way to really make it personal you know and to give your blood to save another person's life you know one donor can save up to three people's lives if you stopped and thought about that for all we were talking about earlier about preventing you know, crimes to people and whatever, here's a chance, and you may never know who it is, but most likely if that blood is being used in a situation that's designed to be used, it's a life-saving thing that what you're doing is really making an incredible contribution. And it's not like, and certainly I have great respect, it's not like giving an organ while you're living, which some people do, I'm always amazed at that. Uh, for that matter, you know, organ donation after you die. This is something while you're alive, you can feel like you're doing to really help your fellow man. It could be a kid. It could be. It could be anybody. It could. You know. I mean, I'm a guy, right? But it could be a. You don't know whose life it is. Um, just the thought of that to me is very powerful. I wish more people would embrace that 
um, and um, and support and support giving giving blood. This weekend coming up is a big week, and I hope you can find some time to not do any work for just maybe an hour or two, no, sit on your couch gonna, and watch no, the big game. I'm going to camp out. I swear, <laughs> I, I, I swear i got to find a way to watch that entire game. <laughs> I, I, uh, and I'm hoping that that will be the case. Uh, I've actually missed parts. You know, it was really funny being in the television business for all those years. There were Super Bowls I missed, and there were, there were some times I traveled on Super Bowl Sundays. But now I don't get to watch a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd like to see <laughs> I'd like, like to, to see, see this game. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really hoping. I got to see part of the playoffs. I, I saw a couple of full games then. And that was like that was sort of brought me back because, quite honestly, and I think we talked about it in prior podcasts. A lot of this past football season, other than going to UH games, I would see the highlights on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and maybe occasionally on Sunday catch a quarter or a half. This is uh, this is the pinnacle for anybody who's ever played the game. Or any, any young boy growing up and his aspirations to play on Sundays, you know, and the college players, even if nobody ever played in the pros, the Super Bowl represents the pinnacle of, of playing the sport. So for those of us who've played it and loved it forever, um, it's just kind of great to watch this kind of moment unfold. And of course, this year it's going to be in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, which is an incredible showpiece. Uh, but it's also a joyous American holiday. You know, uh, I mean, it, we, it's really evolved into something beyond anything. I think anybody, when they first said, okay, let's have the old AFC and the NFC play, and I remember that very first game, play for a championship once the AFC approved. You know, the AFC, once upon a time, was a little bit like what, you know, the World Football League and the USFL and, uh, you know, and everything else, ex-football, well, there has so many different incarnations. And so when the American Football Conference started, Nobody really quite believed it was going to make it, you know, because you had those old teams. I mean, I grew up in the Boston area, and there was no Boston Patriots as a kid. It was the New York Giants mm-hmm. were sort of the regional team. Uh, and when the Boston Patriots started, before they were the New England Patriots, I remember going to their games at high school fields. They used to play at Everett High School, and they'd play over at Boston University. And I went to, I went to a Patriots game once at Harvard Stadium. And they would just find wherever they could play and and then, but it evolved into something really special, and um, and now it's it is it's a phenomenon, and um, and so it's a, it's a joyous day. So Super Bowl Sunday, I am hoping I can find four hours. Give me four hours just to watch this. Plus, if I can say this, I really do like watching it from the standpoint of the technology and the, how the games are shot mm-hmm. and produced. Commercials are one thing; everybody's caught on to that, and I'm I, I, I kind of curious about the commercial breaks as well because they're creative. But it's the technical productions, and usually every year they unveil something. You know, it's just incredible with cameras and and the kind of way that they can cover the game and, and the insights they can give you. So, and it's on CBS this year, and they always do a good job. I really like Jim Nance. Uh, so off we go. And do you have? I think I know the answer to this. I know you're not the biggest fan. Of Patrick Mahomes, but who do you have well, and why? I, I, you know, I don't dislike Patrick Mahomes. I think, really? I, think I, I marvel at his ability, and certainly he's rewriting the record books. And okay. If I were Tom Brady, yeah, that's a good way to put I, it. I would be looking at it, thinking my record is going to fall someday. I mean, Mahomes has just proven himself, and Travis Kelsey is also phenomenal. And I've always liked Andy Reid. Always, mm-hmm. I just have never been able to wrap my head around Kansas City. Uh, to cheer for them, maybe because they were the nemesis for the Patriots, and I was long and long and hard on the Patriots. So that was probably where it's rooted. It's not a lack of appreciation for the athleticism or, or, or what they represent. 
That said, I'm going to cheer for the 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mayor, this is the One Oahu podcast. So for one final thought. Look, I started off this podcast with you. and Thank you, Brandy. You know, excited, enthusiastic about the year ahead. And not just in the spirit of being the year of the dragon. This is 2024. And we've been through a lot the last several years. And we continue to go through a lot. As I said earlier, the, the international headlines right now are, are daunting. And, and the things that are even going on within our own country are divisive, which is really sad to see. We have our challenges at home. There are many. But we also are blessed to live in the most incredible place. And so for those of us responsible to help make this a great place to live, work, and play, we're taking that most seriously, but I also ask the public, because government can't do it all, you know, to help us with that. And so to that, I wish everybody kung hi fa choi in the spirit of Year of the Dragon, and uh, onward and upward, we expect to have a great 2024. Well said. Go Niners. Mayor, thanks for your time. Next week, we'll sit down with the mayor's newest homeless coordinator, Sam Moku. His strategy to tackling the complex issue of homelessness here on Oahu. We'll ask him that question and so much more. That's next time right here on the One Oahu Podcast. Until next time, aloha.